Cairo, Seattle. It's time to get schooled with a professor, Sean Clayton. Welcome to Schooled with a Professor. We are pleased to be joined by one of the rock stars in reporting. Rock star, of course, is Mike Silver from the NFL Network. And, of course, you can follow him at Mike Silver. That's at Mike Silver. And, of course, he's NFL Network reporter. But the big thing about Mike, and I still remember in his Sacramento days when he was a newspaper guy, how uh, he was, you know, he he had a big personality. But now it's like... uh, you know, when you started traveling around in the last couple of years, it's like you become a rock star, you know, getting pictures taken on the field with players and front office people and different type of things like that. But I'm like, I'm kind of like a rock star, but you're Chuck Berry. Like, you know, I'm, you're like the rock star that all the rock stars geek out on because of your, you know, incredible body of work and influence. So I, w- I will take that oversized compliment from the godfather of rock and roll, Chuck Clayton. Hey, hey, at least you get me in the right music, because that's the music I grew up listening to and loving. All right, so NFL right now, uh, everything is all full speed ahead. And, you know, the way this has gone with the pandemic, you know, as bad as it's going to be with the few people that are going to be in stands, but there are going to be some in stands, it looks like uh, things are opening up to a point where, one, I know that John Mara the Giants thinks the whole season can be played. And so far, you only have five remaining players just in the last couple of days that got a positive test for COVID. But I think right now, this thing's pretty well under control based on what we've seen so far this summer. Yeah, but we haven't had any games. We haven't had travel, um, you know, and we saw the Marlins and, you know, other baseball teams have a little mini outbreak. So, you know, A, I think we have to be prepared for the prospect that it could get weird and things could be canceled and shuffled around. And B, um, you know, we saw, as we saw in sports uh, very recently with the Bucks and other teams following suit, there may be situations where players decide we don't want to play right now and in light of uh, racial injustice. So, um, you know, let's, let's pray that there's not another inflection point incident that, uh, you know, causes people to feel so badly about things that um, we go there. The prayer is not that they would take that action. I, I think it's totally understandable under these circumstances, the players would decide we don't feel like running and jumping for you right now. But my prayer would be that we don't see another videotape of uh, a horrific situation. And by the way, it might not just be that. It could be something stupid coming out of the mouth of the chief executive that uh, causes that inflection point. So Let's all uh, fasten our seatbelts and uh, take it week by week. Yeah, you're right. It's the the ride has been different than anything we've ever experienced so far. But okay, on the football side of things, uh, Seattle's had an interesting uh, couple days. You know, they were able to go ahead and get uh, Paul Richardson back, pretty much at the minimum salary with a little bit of a signing bonus, and he was a two fourteen former second round pick who got eight million dollars to go to the Redskins. And then today they get Josh Gordon uh, back. Of course, today being Thursday, uh, Josh Gordon, you know, getting probably a similar type of deal, and it looks like he can be reinstated. We're still waiting for all the word on that. How good do you feel right now as far as Seattle's offense with the additions of Gordon, having the development of DK Metcalf, getting Paul Richardson back? Well, first of all, first of all, I hope that uh, Josh Gordon is reinstated 
for this reason. Um, you know, as I understand the new CBA and the new rules, you know, Josh Gordon under those rules would not necessarily be suspended, uh, you know, for what's gone down previously. So I don't, I just, I think there's a fairness element where, you know, I don't think he should be grandfathered into a previous set of rules that keeps him off the field. Um, I just think whatever the new rules are should be, uh, whether, you know, it should be applied to his situation. And, and um, yeah, I mean, you know, I think what's most exciting to me about the Seahawks is that they are, you know, as is typical with the Schneider Carroll regime, they are swinging big and, and not sitting back and, and waiting. And so, you know, it may prove to be uh, a great move that they got Jamal Adams, and I can totally understand why, uh, you know, they would believe he's a transformative player. It may turn out that it's not, but just taking the swing is a big deal to me, and, and they've done that consistently. And remember, you know, he, they took a swing on Percy Harvin, and that was a disaster, and they obviously still won the Super Bowl uh, that season and, and almost won the next one. But, um, you know, I, I like the fact that they are constantly looking to push it a little bit. And so, yeah, they've had, uh, you know, an experience with Josh Gordon. They believe they can – bring them back and, and get something out of them. And, uh, you know, Paul Richardson, they obviously have a familiarity with. I'm excited about, you know, what DK Metcalf can do at year two. And I, I think I'm just most excited about Mr. Unlimited, Russell Wilson, who, uh, you know, it's going to be hard for me to talk about him in the near future without hearing that interesting Mr. Unlimited voice. Yeah, no question. Yeah, and that's the thing is, uh, you and you're right about John Snyder. He's constantly trying to churn things, and this is the kind of time right now where he shines. I mean, he shines in the draft usually by getting extra draft choices and maneuvering around. But at this time, and I don't know how you feel about it, this is going to be one of the more unique cutdowns because not only are you cutting down for this year to get the 53 players, but you're also cutting down for next year, figuring the cap is going to go down maybe 20 million dollars and so you have to start shaving some things like next year. Like, for example, uh, Unique and Dockway ends up going to Minnesota. But to make that deal work, they had to go to their left tackle, Riley Reef, who they were, were going to release next year because they're going to be over the cap. But now they come to him and they get a $5 million uh lesser deal with him going from 11 to six. And so there may be some casualties, but he was threatening to say, Hey, just cut me or trade me. They couldn't trade him and they were going to cut him, but there's going to be some moves like that that could happen. And maybe something that can satisfy John Snyder on the defensive line. That's a great point. Um, you know, the, it, it is a, it is a unique landscape right now. And, um, you know, the, and also think about the, uh, you know, you're cutting to 53, but you're going to have a big practice squad because of the rules specific to the COVID situation. And you're probably going to need a big practice squad given the potential for, you know, multiple players at one position testing positive if something slips through the cracks. So, um, you know, you got to kind of think about all of that. And, you know, I wonder if there's going to be more poaching around the league as, you know, coaches probably look at it like, well, we're cutting to 53, but it's really 69 because we've got 16 on the practice squad. But is there going to be more violating of the unwritten poaching rules where you're just going out and trying to take 
other teams' practice squad players. So, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, an example of what you're talking about that on the free agency side is Clowney. You know, early on people thought, well, maybe he'll come back to Seattle, and they offered him, what, 15-ish, 16, and he thought that was low and didn't want it, and he's subsequently turned down uh, overtures from other teams like Cleveland and uh, Oakland and Tennessee where they are not giving him what he wants, and that number's got to be dropping. And I believe the Seahawks are now back in that mix at a much lower number and Baltimore is in that mix, and Tennessee, and probably a couple other teams, but yet he, he still remains out. You know, Devontae Freeman had a, a deal, an offer on the table to go to Seattle uh, before they signed Carlos Hyde that would have been, I think, better than anything, he, or way better than anything he would ultimately take if he signs this year. He decided, you know what, I don't want it. Logan Ryan waited forever, so there aren't too many guys still out there, but, you know, Clowney and Devontae Freeman are, are two of them, and they both have had plenty of talk with the Seahawks along the way. You you followed the Clowney situation uh, from the very beginning, <clears throat> and, of course, he overpriced himself at over $22 million. Then he comes back and takes it down to 17, but then he couldn't get physicals because physicians weren't going to be available. And as it stands right now, He's at 15 with nobody going up to 15. Now, Seattle, you're right. They, were, they started around 13, 14. They went up to 15 and maybe as high as 16. But uh, you know, could you envision Clowney sitting out the entire season unless he gets 15 million bucks? I mean, you know, everyone's different, right? I mean, yeah, like Clay Matthews has a number, which I believe is around six. The Seahawks have talked to him, too. And Clay Matthews is at a point in his – life and career where he's like, pay me the number or it's cool. I'm Yeah. And that's, that's a nice place, nice place to be. Right. But you know, I don't know that, I don't know that Clowney is, but I do know this, like, you know, if it's me and I feel like I'm being lowballed by my most recent employer and I can either stay there for less than I think I'm worth or take a low deal somewhere else i'm going somewhere else i just know my psyche like i'll say i'll get low balled at the new place not at the place i am you know so uh that would that would tend to suggest that it wouldn't be seattle but you know i don't know it's been interesting to see the way Connie has played this you know he took over that first game against the 49ers on national tv just an epic performance but you know he was hurt some if you look at the performances they were a little uneven and and the Stack numbers certainly weren't there. Uh, he's a former first overall pick, and yet he kind of got dumped by the Texans, uh, you know, a year ago. So it's uh, it's an interesting, uh, you know, it would be interesting in normal times, but it probably would have happened by now. But I think you're right. The, the tryout rules and the, the coming off the core muscle thing and the history of knee injuries and the impending salary cap. Uh, you know, reduction next year. It all makes it pretty interesting. I, I, I still, my, my gut feeling still says Titans, but I do know the Ravens are poking around pretty hard. Yeah, that's true. And <laughs> we'll see if he doesn't. Clearly, he has to do something by next Tuesday because wherever he goes, he's got to go through the COVID test. And, you know, and if he doesn't uh, pass it or if he waits too long, then he's going to miss his first game check and also not be able to get the whole base salary guaranteed. Right, and I think conversely, we're gonna we're gonna see the usual 
signings after week one of certain veterans who teams don't want to be on the hook for that guarantee for. And so there are some veterans we haven't been talking about who are still out there that I think, you know, we'll hear about their signing the day after that first Sunday of games. How close do you think it is right now with what Seattle's done in the offseason having Russell Wilson, and being, where do they compare to the San Francisco 49ers who went to the Super Bowl last year? How close is it? And does Seattle at this stage have a little bit of an edge, or are they behind? It's such a great question. You know, um, first of all, the division is a monster. It is, I I believe the Rams are going to be still a force. I know some people think they're fading. I think that they will come back hard. And we, you know, Arizona obviously has, all of our attention with the offseason they had and, you know, high hopes for Kyler in year two. So, first of all, the division's insane. Um, you know, I think there's a tendency for some people to kind of uh, slot the 49ers at the very top, which I get, um, and the Seahawks a notch below. And I try to remind people, you know, hey, they were literally two inches away, the Seahawks, from winning the division, right? I mean, the – you know, the, the last play of that last game was as close as it could possibly be. And, of course, if they don't get the delay of game, I, you know, we, the, the Marshawn Lynch fantasy probably comes true. And, you know, and we don't know what would have happened if the Seahawks had then been the three seed and the Niners, you know, went in as the five, you know, with the Saints and the Packers still in the mix, uh, you know, the Vikings crazy NFC. But, um, you know, I think it's going to be a year where continuity – is more at a premium than ever. Um, and I know we thought that in the lockout year, and then lo and behold, uh, the 49ers with a first-year coach, you know, went out and, uh, you know, came very close to going to the Super Bowl. But, um, you know, on paper, you would want teams that have an established structure and a system and returning coordinators and a returning head coach and a quarterback who is well-versed in the system well, San Francisco and Seattle are two of those teams at the very top. So I, I think it's real close between the two. I think you would say overall talent, player to player, on paper you'd take the Niners, but I think if you took the most important position, it wouldn't be close because Russell Wilson to me is at the very, very top, and, and Jimmy's not there yet. Yeah, of course, it's an interesting thing. And I know even uh, Mike Tannenbaum uh, has been tracking this, is that uh, more teams are now putting more money into the secondary than the defensive line. Okay, so, for example, you look at the 49ers, you look at the Washington Redskins, 49ers, five first-round defensive linemen in the last six drafts, and 49ers, I mean, the Redskins, I think, have taken, you know, the last four, and they've all been defensive linemen. Then here's Seattle. They've scrambled around. They pick up Jamal Adams, who's been looking fantastic. They pick up Quentin Dunbar. They pick up Quandre Diggs. And so uh, Bill Belichick's one that goes more back to front. I mean, it's kind of an interesting thing, but he's saying in the last two years, more teams have put more money into the secondary than the defensive line, which, of course, is kind of amazing. Yeah, that's interesting because, you know, we saw the Patriots, you know, there was a limit last year. They – they went to Baltimore and kind of got shredded. And then as good as that secondary is, they were never really the same. And obviously there were offensive issues too. But, um, you know, conversely, we've seen defensive line 
take over a season. I mean, the Giants did it in the Super Bowl really twice against the Patriots, and the Broncos did it, you know, in an entire postseason culminating with the Super Bowl 50 victory, if you count Von Miller as, you know, an honorary defensive lineman. I don't even know what he technically is in that scheme now, but, um, you know, the it's, you know, it's counterintuitive to say, well, we'll just put it in the back end because if you can't get to the quarterback, then at some point you can't cover forever. But, you know, the Seahawks were pretty good last year without elite pass rushing, although, I, you know, the caveat would be in the most important game when they beat the 49ers when they were 10-0. and uh, You know, Clowney did, you know, I don't know what the numbers were, but I know what my eyes told me. Clowney was, you know, a, an absolute monster that game who just wrecked everything they did but it it is an interesting question and obviously you have to be able to stop the run to even have your secondary mean anything and you know the Packers had a pretty good secondary and they didn't really have much to do other than tackle in the NFC championship game because the 49ers running game was so good at that point it didn't matter let's uh, wrap it up here on two west coast teams that you're going to be following uh the raiders of course you know they they find out that uh tyrell williams is now going to be out for the season with a pec injury their first round pick you know fractures a finger and so don't know if he's going to be there for the opener derwin james of the chargers uh he's out for the season so where do you kind of put those two teams trying to chase kansas city and also see where they stand with denver I don't think anyone's catching Kansas City in that division or maybe anywhere. But, um, you know, the Raiders are really, and I know you know this too, the, the internal sense of optimism in that building is abundant. They really think they've got an offense that is going to wow people, and they think the defense is at least better. Um, and they're really excited about Brian Edwards, the third-round receiver who's a lot more physical. Um, and so he'll get thrown in now with Williams going on IR and, you know, him and Ruggs and a true slot guy in Renfro and uh, a bell cow back in Jacobs, and they love their offensive line and they think Carr is better. So um, if they're two-thirds as good as they think they are in that building, they'll be pretty good. And, uh, you know, the Chargers are perplexing to me because, you know, the 2018 season – down the stretch, I thought, this is one of the most talented teams in the league. They're a horse. And then last year, Derwin James got hurt, and it just just never looked right. And Rivers obviously didn't look the same. So, uh, you know, I'm excited about the Chargers because I'm a big Anthony Lynn believer, and I think they'll, you know, surprise some people. But, you know, that James injury, man, that really, you know, it seems, it seems to me the Chargers, like, in the last decade have just led the league in like gut punch preseason injuries. It's just rough. Hey, you can follow Mike Silver at Mike Silver. You can watch him on the NFL Network reporting. And when you see him, of course, he's still a rock star. So, Mike, thanks for joining us on Schooled with the Professor. Thanks, John. And don't forget, I have a podcast, too, the Pass It Down podcast, available on all major platforms. Just trying to keep up with Chuck Berry, but... Uh, you and repeat chance, that again. Is, is know, it pass it, pass it Down? Is that what it's called? It's called Pass It Down. And okay. my, uh, my co-host is my delightful daughter, Natalie. So we, uh, we're we having a really good time. 
And that does it for this week's podcast. In between episodes, you can follow me on Twitter at Clayton ESPN. If you enjoy these weekly one-on-one conversations, consider leaving a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to the show. Thanks for listening. See you next time on Schooled with the Professor.